listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. What is up, Podcast Nation, Podcast Family? What's up, guys? I'm glad to be back with you again today. It's Monday, it's Podcast Day. And so you know I'm excited. Got something great for you today from the Word of God that's going to help you. And we're going to get into that in just a minute, as you saw from the title, which I'm not quite sure how I'm titling this yet. But the basis is seven unscriptural confessions or things that you say that are canceling your blessings. And uh, this is massive, massive problem for many people. They're not seeing the blessings God's prepared for their life. And the biggest enemy of their life is their own mouth, what they're saying, what they're confessing over their life. So we're going to get into that in just a second. I want to take a minute to say to you guys that I really appreciate you listening to the podcast every single week. I can tell just by looking at the statistics and the analytics that the uh, podcast audience just continues to grow and grow and grow. It's blowing my mind. And uh, so I want to say thank you. And for those of you that are listening, I want to encourage you to take a minute at the top of the podcast episode and share this with somebody, post it on your story, uh, Facebook, wherever you are, whatever outlet that you use, share this with somebody today because it's going to be, I believe, a source of fuel spiritually to get people back on track. The Bible says that truth will set you free. That's John 8, 32. That's why I take the time to do these podcasts every single week is because I believe strongly in the truth of God's word. I believe strongly that God's word has the performance power to set you free in every area of life. That's why we put it in the intro. I believe that with all my heart, that God's word is the most powerful force in the universe. And so I want to encourage you to share it with somebody today. I know it's going to be a blessing to you and to them. And uh, I can't wait to hear the testimonies. Listen, if you guys have questions, and we've been getting some, if you'd like to hear anything specific on the podcast, send me your questions, um, topics that you'd like me to cover. I actually have a list of them that we're going to, they're like a queue that we're going over and um, I'm preparing some that people have already written in asking about. So if you have anything like that, you can send it to me either on uh, direct message on Instagram. My username is Ted Shuttlesworth. Um, you could also email it directly to me, Ted at MiracleWord.com. And I would love to hear from you guys and and love to hear and, and receive your questions. You're never a bother to me. I love interacting with you and uh, I really appreciate it. I love you guys so much. All right, let's jump in today. Seven unscriptural confessions that are canceling your blessings. Um, some, I almost titled it, Seven Stupid Things That Christians Need to Stop Saying. Seven Stupid Things Christians Need to Stop Saying because really, Anything that does not align itself with God's word is foolish. If it's not from God's wisdom, then it's foolish. Uh, I love how God spoke through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 55, and he said specifically this. He said, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts higher than your ways and your thoughts. 
And he, he made the point that my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. God's wisdom is beyond anything else that we could ever attain. And so his word is his wisdom. And so when we take the word into our lives, we have to align our lives and our confession, what we say, with the mighty word of God. You've heard me teach on prayer before and talk about the importance of aligning your prayers with the word of God, because God honors only his word. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah wrote that God is watching over his word to perform it. So you have to understand that the word should be the basis for everything that we say or do. That is how you can ensure that your life will always be successful, is align your life with the mighty word of God. So I'm going to give you seven things today that are not scriptural, but somehow they've become common phrases that people say, almost like religious phrases or colloquialisms, if you will, that church people, you'll often hear people say stuff like this. In fact, I was at a phenomenal um, Christmas production last night, and I heard this said by the pastor when he got up at the end to uh, give the altar call and was asking people to come forward to receive Jesus as their savior. But I hear it all the time. And I know you've heard it. Number one, the first thing people need to stop saying is I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a sinner. You know, the pastor got up last night and after uh, this was not at my home church, obviously, but we went to see a big um, Christmas production at another church. And the pastor got up at the end as he's calling people forward. And he just said, you know, you need to realize, you know, we're all sinners. We're all, you know, every one of us here, we're all sinners. I was like, speak for yourself. I'm not a sinner. I don't call myself a sinner because that's not what I am. You know, I used to be a sinner. I was born a sinner. Until I received Christ, I was a sinner, but I'm not a sinner now. So don't group me in with whoever else is here that doesn't have a savior. I am not a sinner. You know, that, and the problem here, and let me, this is huge, by the way. That's why I'm, I'm starting with this one. This is massive. It's a massive problem that'll cancel your blessings. Is that if you've got this mindset that you're a sinner, there's a few problems with it. Number one, it contradicts what the Bible says about you. Number two, it keeps you in a mindset where you expect sin to be in your life. That's a huge problem. If you have cultivated a mindset where you expect sin to remain in your life or sin to be found in your life, and if you if you fail or fall into a sin, you say, well, you know, I'm a sinner. We're all sinners, you know, and, and we sin. No, that's not what the New Testament teaches at all, at all. In fact, Paul, who was the apostle who wrote close to two-thirds of the New Testament, wrote to all the churches in his letters and encouraged them to live free from sin. So number one, it's possible to live free from sin. It's possible. You know, there's people that actually believe it's not possible for anybody until we get to heaven to fully live free from sin. It's possible to live holy, set apart, righteous lifestyles. In fact, God spoke in the New Testament through the apostle Peter and said, be ye holy as I am holy. Now that's massive. Can you imagine God telling you to be holy just like he's holy? 
Well, he wouldn't tell you to do it if it was impossible. That would be unjust of God to give you a command to do something that's not possible to do. When he commands you to do something, he also empowers you to do it. And he said, be holy as I am holy. Think about this. This will blow your mind. Jesus said before he even died and shed his blood and created the ability for salvation to be received by men, he healed a man who was on a stretcher. And when the man got up and took his stretcher, he said, go and sin no more unless the worst thing should come upon your life. So he's warning him here. But understand, Jesus told this man who was not even saved, who was not even filled with the Holy Spirit, he told him, now leave this place and go and don't sin anymore. You say, well, that's impossible. The man wasn't even, how could he go and live with? The moment Jesus commanded him to do it, he empowered him to do it. The commands of God are the empowerments of God. The commands of God are the empowerments of God. If you're taking notes, you need to write that down. The commands of God are the empowerments of God. If God commands you to do something, he empowers you to do it. So don't ever refer to yourself as a sinner saved by grace. You're not a sinner saved by grace. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. You're a new creature. It's like, it's like, you know, you go to Alcoholics Anonymous and they, they've got this mindset where they keep you an alcoholic for the rest of your life. You know, it's like, well, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I'm a recovering alcoholic. I'm a recovering alcoholic. For 30 years, you're going to say that. It's part of the program. I'm a recovering alcoholic. How long are you going to be recovering? Get free, be free, and stay free. You're not a recovering sinner. I'm a recovery, you know, I'm just a sinner, say, but I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. We're all sinners. I'm a sinner, a sinner with filthy hands. No, I'm not. I'm not a sinner. You're not a sinner. If you've received Christ into your life, if you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, Paul said to the Roman church, you will be saved. You're, you're changed. The moment that happens, you're changed. You're a new creation. Old things have passed away. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you're not familiar with it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away or died. And behold, I like that he put that. It means take a look. All things have become new. And so you're not some sinner. So meaning... First of all, don't contradict what God says about you because whatever he says about you, he empowers you to be. As I said a moment ago, if he empowered you by calling you a new creation, a new creature, then don't relegate yourself to a life of sin by calling yourself a sinner. God doesn't call you a sinner. In fact, you say, well, you know, I used to be in, you know, those things. I still have those memories of all the things I used to do and be. God doesn't have those memories. In fact, the Bible tells us that uh, he will remember our sins no more, that he will remove them from us as far as the east is from the west. And the Bible says that he has cast our sins into a sea of forgetfulness, meaning God remembers your wrongdoing, your sin, your trespasses no more. Once he forgave you, he forgot them. And so if God has forgotten them, you shouldn't remember them. That's what the devil does. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. 
the brothers and sisters that are in Christ, the devil keeps coming back and trying to remind you of what you used to be to drag you back into guilt and shame over your past mistakes so that you can't live in freedom in the body of Christ. And it's a ploy. It's an attack of the devil to get your mind in the wrong place. Because see, the Bible teaches us that our minds are the breeding ground for our freedom. How is that the case? Well, our minds have to be renewed. If our minds are not renewed, then what ends up happening is, as I said at the beginning of the episode, your life does not align with the word of God. Because see, understand, everything you say is formulated in your mind. Everything you say, you first think. So if your mindset is wrong, then the things you're saying about yourself will also be wrong. That's why it's important to renew your mind with the washing of water by the word. That's found in the book of Ephesians. That God has cleansed us or renewed us with the washing of water by the word. So the word of God, when you read it, it washes and cleans your mind. It's the water of the word. It's cleansing. It's a cleansing agent for your mind. That's how you renew your mind, by reading the word of God. So what happens is if people don't renew their mind by the word of God, then they will continue to say things about themselves and about their lives that are false. They're not true. God has changed them by his power, but they're still living in the old. They're still living life 1.0, and God has provided life 2.0, and they've never upgraded their operating system. And there's a problem because there's all new benefits, all new features in the new operating system, and they're still living on 1.0. Meanwhile, God's provided all kinds of supernatural things that are with the 2.0 update, but you're still confessing and trying to act out 1.0 lifestyle, and it's not God's desire. You're not a sinner saved by grace. Stop relegating yourself to a place of, uh, you know, that's absent of redemptive qualities. And the second thing I said about that was that you expect yourself to have sin present in your life when you think like that. You know, well, I'm just a sinner. You know, we're all sinners and you know how that goes. We all fall. We keep falling. We keep falling. The important thing is we get back up again. That's not what the Bible teaches. God said, be holy as I am holy. You understand that you can be righteous. You can live righteously. You can be free from sin. In fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27 that on a daily basis, he put his body under or he took authority over his body. He made it obey Christ so that after having spent his life preaching, he would not himself become a castaway, a reprobate, or disqualified. That's what he's saying there in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, if, so that after having preached to others, I myself may not become a castaway. The word in the Greek there is a, a reprobate. So Paul was actually saying that he could be a minister for God and preach to others, but if he didn't control his own life, he could be disqualified at the end of his life and not receive his eternal reward of heaven. So by having this mindset that you're just some sinner saved by grace, it builds an expectation that sin will be in your life. And that's a massive mistake, massive mistake, because see, it puts a negative faith or I should say faith for a wrong thing, because once you build that expectation, 
Uh, expectation is what creates reality. You know, faith for God to do something creates God doing something in your life. It provokes him to move. But when you have faith in the wrong thing, what you expect will come to pass. What you expect will come to pass. It's funny in Mark chapter 11 that, you know, and people don't think of it this way, but the Bible says, if you believe and do not doubt in your heart, you shall have whatsoever you say. Well, that means that whatever you're believing and saying without doubt will come to pass. It's not just talking about the positive things. If you literally, if you believe negative things and confess negative things and don't doubt that it'll come to pass, it's coming to pass. And I'll deal with that more as we continue on in this episode today. But you understand that's why it's important to have proper belief systems that are based upon the scripture. Because if you don't, you will experience the wrong outcomes in life because you have wrong belief systems. And as a result, you think and say the wrong things. So don't ever again declare and don't listen. If you're in some kind of a service where they're saying, how many know that we're all, every one of us are just sinners saved by the grace. Don't nod your head. Don't sit there and lift the hand with a somber look on your face. Amen. Yes. Ooh, mm, ooh, ah, mm. I've, my wife and I will sit there and shake our head. No, <laughs> it's like, no, I am not. We were in a service one time. My wife, this guy was preaching something. I have no idea where he got this. He was supposed to be. He came highly recommended. We were sitting listening to him. And he started saying stuff that was totally unscriptural. My wife's on the front row shaking her head no hard, like hardcore. And we got up and left. I remember before we even, I mean, it was like 20 minutes into the service. I leaned over. I was like, I can't take any more of this. I was like, next next little break in the, you know, when he walks the other way, look, we're getting out of here. I said, I'm not going to sit here and listen to somebody wrongly divide the word of God that knows better. I don't have time for it. I don't have, you said, you actually left the service? I left it. And let me tell you something else. I was the praise and worship leader for the service and I left it. Should I have done that? Who knows? But I did it. Because I don't have time for people manipulating the word of God to say things that it doesn't say because they have wrong beliefs about God or because they have um, crafted their doctrine to accommodate their tragedies in life. Just because you've experienced tragedy doesn't give you the right to change the doctrine of scripture to match what you've gone through. That's a massive mistake that many people make. So number one, stop calling yourself a sinner saved by grace. Don't think of yourself as a sinner. God said you're a new creation, a new creature in Christ Jesus. Number two, second unscriptural confession that cancels your blessings is saying or praying, well, if you know, if it if it's if it's God's will, if it's God's will, if it's God's will. I hear people pray this, you know, they get all scriptural. They think they are anyway, and and they think that they're spiritual because they're you know speaking in a King James version when they pray. God, we ask you if it be Thy will. You know, I've actually heard people praying for others, and and praying that phrase, "If it be Thy will, God." You've probably heard it yourself. Even people praying for others uh, for healing. And they'll say, oh, God, we just ask you now, touch her. If it be thy will, raise her up off this bed of sickness, heal her body. You don't have to pray if it be thy will. 
The fact that you're praying that way and that you're adding that into your prayer means you don't know what God's will is. And there's a problem with that because his will is found in his word. His will is found in his word. Do you know that we don't ever have to be in the dark about the promises of God or his will concerning his promises? His promises are clearly outlined in Scripture. His covenant is clearly outlined in Scripture. And we don't ever have to doubt or wonder what the will of God is. In fact, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. This is what he said. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. Paul teaching them here, all of the promises of God have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, which means if you're going to sit and ask God, Lord, is it really, uh, is it really your will to heal me? You know what you're going to get? A resounding yes. I fulfilled that promise through Christ. That's what he's going to tell you. That's what Paul's trying to teach them here. The promises of God have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. Lord, is it really your will that I be blessed financially? Yes. Lord, is it really your will that I have peace and joy and don't struggle with depression and anxiety? Yes. Lord, is it really your will that I be able to overcome sin and sinful desires and live a righteous and holy life and be pleasing to you? Yes. You don't have to wonder. I just don't know. Is it, is it God's will to heal this, this kid? Is it God's will to heal my mom? Yes. The promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. They are yes. You don't have to be in the dark. You don't have to wonder if it's God's will or if it's God's plan or if it's God's desire. Oh, if it be thy will, oh God. Sounds really religious and holy in a prayer, but it's not scriptural. In fact, can I tell you something very interesting about prayer? Since we're dealing with the subject of if it be your will or if, it, if it's God's will, there's only one prayer, one type of prayer, I should say, that you pray that includes the phrase, if it be your will. And that's when you're praying prayers of consecration unto God, where you're saying, God, my life is yours to do with what you will. And so I'm seeking you for direction about what I should do for you next. Because when you're getting direction from God, those things can't be found in the Bible. For example, God can't show you in the scripture where you should go to school or, you know, what career you should, what career path you should take. Or, you know, God, I believe God's interested in every detail of your life. He has a plan for your life. You know, what you should be doing. What is my purpose? What, you know, those things can't be found in a verse of scripture. So you've got to be led by the spirit of God. The Bible says that as many are led by the spirit of God, they're the sons of God, Romans chapter eight. So if you're going to be led by the spirit of God, you have to be open to his leading and you have to de determine in your heart, I'm going to do whatever God's desire or will is for my life. That's the only time you should ever use the phrase, if it be your will, when you're praying. For all other things, we know his will. We know his will. And his will is found in his word. 
And so don't ever, you know, if you're praying for financial blessing, if you're praying for healing, if you're praying for peace, if you're praying for deliverance, if you're praying for joy, um, whatever it is, broken relationships to be restored, don't pray if it be your will. Instead, go into the word of God and find scriptures that promise what it is you're believing for and make them into prayer points and stand on those scriptures as you pray and remind God, not that he's forgotten, but you put him in remembrance of what his word says, just like a lawyer would do in court, bringing out evidence and saying, God, your word declares, you know, that you give your beloved rest in Psalm 127 and verse two. And the enemy's been attacking my mind with anxiety and it's been attacking my mind uh, with spirit of fear and I can't sleep at night and I have problems getting rest and I can't, I'm, I'm battling insomnia and all these things and I command it to go and I stand on your word that declares you give your beloved rest. You don't have to say, Lord, you know, if it be your will, allow me to sleep well tonight. No, find scriptures that declare that God has given you a promise, stand on them and declare them over your life and don't get bogged down into the trick of saying, Lord, if it be your will, oh God, if it be your will, hallelujah. Saying it with a cry voice doesn't make it any more spiritual. No, know the will of God, read the Bible, find the will of God for your life and apply it to your life through prayer. But when you're dis discovering and determining your purpose, what God's called you to do, it's okay to ask him what his will is or say, Lord, whatever your will is for me, reveal it. That's fine in that context, but only in that context. Only in that context. Number three, this is a big one that I grew up experiencing, is people making statements about themselves, about their well-being that are just tradition. You know, they're just traditional. It's like something that becomes like a, I don't know, a slang, a catchphrase, a colloquialism. You know, I grew up in West Virginia and, uh, you know, you'd ask, you'd ask somebody sometimes, Hey man, how you doing? And you'd hear him say, Hey man, well, I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. And that used to tick me off like to no end. You're hanging in there. You sit there and talk to Holy Ghost filled Christians. Hey, how you doing? Hanging in there, bud. Hey man, I'm hanging in. Really? Is that how you're doing? You are saved by the blood of Jesus filled with the eternal power of the Holy Ghost, and you're hanging in there. You're barely getting by, are you? Just kind of hanging on by the last uh, shred of your, it's like, I don't know. And, and, you know, I understand many of these people saying these things are not saying them because, you know, they have a, a true belief that, you know, that they're barely making it. But, you know, many of them do. Many of them, that's how they were raised to think. They were raised to think, don't expect anything great in life. You know, we've never, our family's never had anything great. Our, our, you know, none of our family ever went to college, never had good jobs. You know, the man's against you. You know, the, this is how people are raised to think. And as a result, they develop this uh, verbiage around their life. Anybody asks them how they don't ever want to sound like they're expecting too much. Well, you know, we're getting by. I'm doing okay. You know, could be doing better. You hear these, I mean, stupid things. That's not what the Bible says about you. The Bible says you're an overcomer. It says you're more than a conqueror. <laughs> That's far better than hanging in there. It says that you have dominion. Wherever your foot shall tread, you have dominion. Wherever your foot shall tread, you have dominion. You have authority in this earth. 
Don't say something that's contradictory to the word of God. Don't say it. And here's why. The Bible teaches in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 27 that by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you'll be condemned. It's mirrored in the Old Testament. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21. The Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. You will experience the results of what you say. If you want to confess over your life every day that you're hanging in there, that's your business. You'll never hear that come out of my mouth. You'll never hear coming out of my mouth. I'm just, I'm getting by. We're making it. Oh, it's, you know, you'll never hear me say something like that. Never. It's a demonic way of thinking about yourself. What are you talking about? I mean, literally, David lived under a worse covenant than we have. And David was able to say, the Lord is my shepherd. I won't lack for anything. He'll make me lie down in green pastures. He'll lead me beside still waters. He'll restore my soul. He'll lead me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Goodness and mercy are following me all the days of my life. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I mean, David lived under a way worse covenant than we have and had a much better confession than many people have. Say what the Bible says about your life. <laughs> let me let me just put a little caveat in here in case you get those super spiritual people listening to the podcast. You know, if somebody's asking you how you're doing, they don't need a 15-minute doctrinal rundown of how you're doing, especially in the lobby on Sunday morning after the service when people are trying to get to lunch and they just see you in passing. Let me just give you an update, all you super spiritual people that don't ever use breath mints and your close, close talkers burning our nose hairs off for 15 minutes, giving us a doctrinal rundown with cliches about how you're doing. We don't need that. You know, a, one phrase is sufficient, you know? It's like, hey, brother, how you doing? Oh, brother, too blessed to be distressed. I'm under the spout where the glory comes out. I'm, we don't need to hear all that goofy, you know, cliched verbiage. Just say you're blessed and move on. I'm trying to get home to my pot roast. <sighs> Got that off my chest. I'm telling you, these, these um, this podcast, it's a, it, it's an, uh, one of the things it is, is an outlet for me to rant about things that I'm sick of. So thank you for being here to hear it. Uh, they don't need to hear an entire doctrinal rundown. I mean, can you imagine how ridiculous? Hey, brother, how you doing? Well, I'll tell you, the Bible says I'm more than a conqueror through him that loved me. I am the head. I'm not the tail. I'm blessed coming in and I'm blessed going out. The blessings of God extend to a thousand generations, brother. And it's like, just tell me you're doing good and let's move on with it. I get it. I get it. You have faith. You believe the word. So do I. But what I'm talking about is these people who, without thinking, speak negative words over their lives because they say what they've always heard. They say what they've always said instead of crafting your confessions and forming them around the word of God. Say what the Bible says over you. You're not hanging in there. You're not barely getting by. You're not just making it. You're an overcomer. 
In fact, you should say these things at your house. Can I, can I lead you um, in a confession? This is something that I lead my daughters in every single night before bed. Every single night. Every single night. I, I'm teaching them confession at five years old, eight years old, because it, it, it will determine the course of your life. I'm getting them to say the right things over themselves now so that when they get older, that'll be automatic. It'll be in cruise control, autopilot. And so I take them into Revelation chapter five and verse 12, where the Bible says that worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Jesus didn't die to receive those things for himself. He died to receive them, to give them to us. So I have my daughters confess with me every night. Repeat after me. I am powerful. I am wealthy. I am, uh, I am wise. I am mighty. I have honor. I have glory. I have blessing. And then her, their mother add one, and I'm healthy. <laughs> so now we, we say those eight things every night. Say it with me, girls. I am powerful. I am wealthy. I am wise. I am mighty. I have honor. I have glory. I have blessing. And I'm healthy. Every single night, we declare it. My daughters don't have a choice but to be powerful. They don't have a choice but to be wealthy. They don't have a choice but to be wise. They don't have a choice but to be mighty, to have honor, glory, blessing, and health. We're declaring it by faith over our lives, and our words will justify us, and we will have life coming out of our mouth, which will create the environment that we live in because we're aligning our words with the mighty word of God. So number three, change how you talk about yourself. Don't say things about yourself that the Bible does not say. Number four, you hear people say this, people need to stop saying it. Oh, Lord, just give me the strength to endure it. Lord, just give me the strength to deal with it. When dealing with tragedy or problem that, that takes place in their life or something comes against them. Well, I'm just praying. I've actually had people write me or call me or in live services ask me. That's their prayer request. What would you like God to do for you? Oh, brother, just been dealing with so much. I pray you just ask God to give me the strength to deal with it, the strength to endure it. Find that in the Bible. When did Jesus ever come across somebody who was struggling, that had been attacked by the devil? And when they said, Lord, would you touch us? Would you change us? Would you make us whole? When did Jesus ever say, well, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to ask God, my father, instead of delivering you, healing you, setting you free, I'm just going to pray that God gives you the strength to endure this. I just want you to have, no, you're not going to find that. Anytime there was an attack of the devil, against God's people in the New Testament or the old, there was always a plan of deliverance and miraculous power that brought people out of bondage. And never did Jesus say, well, you need to recognize that I'm here to be with you. I'm here to hold you through this problem. No, don't pray, Lord, give me strength to endure it. Gain spiritual power, gain through the word and through the Holy Ghost, through fasting and prayer, gain spiritual strength to destroy every attack of the devil that comes against your life. 
Don't relegate yourself to the place where you're just expecting strength to just continually deal with a problem. Notice, even when Jesus met people who had been dealing with problems for years, the moment he found out about it, he ended it immediately. What about the woman who, uh, in the book of Luke, who had been dealing with his crippled condition for 18 years? She was bent over double, the Bible says, couldn't lift herself up. But when Jesus found out that a daughter of Abraham, which means she was in covenant with God, very important point there, when he found out she had been dealing with that issue for 18 years, he didn't say, well, you know, the reason you've been dealing with this is because God's been just really wanting to put you in a place where you lean on him and have the strength to endure. No, he actually broke the law to heal her immediately. It was the Sabbath day and no work should have been done on the Sabbath according to the religious leaders and the you know Mosaic law. But Jesus said, you know what? I'm not waiting until the next day to touch this woman because now that I've been made aware of her issue, I'm going to immediately deliver her from this problem. Not give her strength to endure it, deliver her. And immediately, her crippled condition was healed and people were ticked off at Jesus because he had broken the law. And he called, they're all hypocrites. He called them hypocrites. Which one of you, if you've got an issue with one of your animals or he falls into a pit or whatever, you don't go drag him out on the Sabbath day? Of course you do. How much more should this daughter of Abraham receive her miracle? That's what Jesus is teaching them. You're hypocrites. You'll do it for your animals. And here's a woman that needs healing immediately. You'd make her wait another day? No, no. And Jesus did that. Woman with the issue of blood. For years, Mark chapter five, she had spent all that she had on doctors and nurses and medical care, didn't get any better, got worse. The moment she came into contact with Jesus and touched the hem of his garment, he didn't turn around and say, hey, quit trying to get a miracle from me. Quit trying to get a touch from me. I'm just trying to give you strength to endure this. No, she was immediately made whole. Jesus always treated the attack of the devil as what it was, an enemy, and destroyed it. Even when there was a demonic wind that arose and this this storm tried to kill he and his disciples and take them down, he woke up and rebuked the wind and the waves. He didn't sit there and hug his disciples, say, listen, I'm here for you guys. We're going through the storms of life, but I'm here for you. Just everybody cuddle up to me right now. Let's cuddle. Let's cuddle and sing a hymn. No, he rebuked it and then rebuked his disciples for not rebuking it and waking him up. I empowered you guys. Why aren't you rebuking it? You don't need me to do it. You've got the power to do it yourself. So don't ever make this fourth unscriptural confession. Lord, give me the strength to endure it. Redemption freed you from these attacks of the enemy, gain spiritual strength and destroy every attack of the enemy that comes against your life. Number five is very similar to number four, but I see it in a different light. And I, and I trust me, I deal with this. I deal with people saying this. An attack of the devil comes against somebody and here's their confession. Well, brother, the Lord's testing me with this. The Lord's using this in my life to make me a stronger believer. He's testing me. I know I'm just going through a time of testing from the Lord, brother. 
They'll say this about sickness. They'll say this about depression, anxiety. They'll say it about financial difficulty. They'll say it about, I mean, I've had people say this to me about every single subject you can imagine. Kids not serving the Lord, wife leaving them, husband leaving. Well, brother, the Lord's just testing me with this right now. He's testing me. No, that's ridiculous. Let me read you what the Bible says in the book of James. James chapter one, verses 12 through 17. Listen, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial or tribulation. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Verse 13, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. Get that in your spirit. If you're going through a trial, if you're going through a tribulation, don't ever say I'm being tempted by God. For God can't be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Verse 16, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Listen to this. For every good gift, verse 17, and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God doesn't change. Every good gift comes from him. Every perfect gift comes from him. Cancer is not a good gift. Compare this to Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus is teaching about the character of the Father, who is a loving Father, who gives good gifts to his children, that if they ask for bread, he's not going to give them a stone, and if they ask for fish, he's not going to give them a serpent. God doesn't give evil things. He's a loving Father. So if you're going through an issue, if you're going through a problem, if you're going through a trial or a tribulation, it's not the Lord doing it. And so don't say, well, God's just testing me. God's just putting me through a test, brother. No, he's not. God doesn't test any man with evil. He doesn't use evil things. And let me tell you something. Let me just make a point because I've been getting a lot of questions about this. Sickness is evil. It is always evil. There is never a time where sickness is good. There's never a time when disease is good. It is always evil. In Deuteronomy 28, it was evil, where the Bible says it it came upon Israel as the result of a curse for disobeying the instructions of God. Read Deuteronomy 28. It came as a result of a curse. In fact, Deuteronomy 28, 61, after having listed tons of names of different types of diseases and plagues, the Lord spoke and said, and all of the diseases and plagues that were not listed in this book of the law will come upon you. So sickness is a curse. It is evil. It is from the devil. That's why anytime Jesus encountered sickness or disease in the New Testament, he destroyed it as the perfect image and nature of God. That's found, by the way, in Hebrews 1.3. If you didn't know, Christ Jesus is the perfect representation and image of the nature of God manifested on the earth. So what you see Jesus do on the earth is exactly what God the Father would do if he was standing there. It is exactly what Jehovah would do if he got off his throne and came down to the earth. And every time Jesus dealt with sickness, 
He destroyed it by the power of his spirit because sickness is evil. It is always evil. When Jesus died, he did. I've covered this on the podcast before. He did not have to do this so that you'd be saved from sin, but he took an extra step on the way to the cross and took 39 stripes upon his back specifically to set you free from sickness and disease. And that's echoed in 1 Peter 2.24, by whose stripes you were healed. Jesus didn't have to take stripes so you'd be saved. The stripes had nothing to do with salvation. They had everything to do with being healed from sickness and disease. Why would he do that if it was sometimes his father's will to put sickness and disease on people to teach them a lesson or to make them stronger? God doesn't use evil things to test his children. He doesn't use evil things to teach you a lesson. That's not God. If you believe that about God, hear me right now. Every person that's listening to this podcast that continues to question this, you listen to what I'm saying right now. If you believe that about God, then you you have to, by logic, believe that God is not completely good, God is not completely righteous, and he's not completely holy because he's also somehow in partnership with the devil because he takes evil things and puts them on his children. No, God is not evil. God doesn't use evil things. God is not in partnership with the devil. Paul made that clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 in dealing with relationships. He said, what relationship can there be between God and the devil? None. What relationship can there be between light and darkness? None. God is not in relationship with the devil. He's not in partnership using evil things to touch his children. That is a demonic doctrine that has wormed its way into the church from poor, poor teaching and poor dividing of the scripture. And it's kept people sick and it's caused other people to die because they believe God's the cause of sometimes sickness and disease. And it's a lie from the pit of hell. God does not use evil things to teach his children lessons. So don't ever say, the Lord's testing me, brother. I just know the Lord's testing me with this. If it's evil, it's not from God. If it's hurtful, it's not from God. If it's destructive, it's not from God. It's from the devil. Number six, got to get through these. We're running out of time. Number six, I don't know why I say that. Put my own time restraints. This is my show. I'll go as long as I want. Okay. Number six, stop checking your watch. Stop getting up to go to the bathroom. No, I'm kidding. Number six, people say this all the time. It ticks me off. Ticks me off. You try to bless somebody, you try to give them something, you try to buy their meal, you try to give them, buy them a gift or, you know, try to give them money or whatever. You're just trying to be a blessing like the Bible tells you to be. And you hear people say this, oh, brother, we couldn't accept that. But thank you so much for thinking of us. Oh, brother, I couldn't, I could never accept that. But thank you so much. God bless you. What a, that is false humility. It is pride wrapped up in false humility. Let me tell you, if you're one of these people that you can't, no one can give you anything. 
If you're one of these people that, you know, you never can accept anybody, you know, no one can buy your meal. Nobody can give you a gift. Nobody can give you money. Nobody. That's pride wrapped up in false humility. Stop saying, oh, brother, I, I could never accept that, but thank you for thinking of us. You know, thank you. Oh, oh you're so kind, but we, could, we couldn't accept it. Accept it. Take it. It's part of your covenant. If you, don't, if you act like that, you know what you're doing? You're cutting God's covenant of seed time and harvest in half. And you're doing your part, but refusing God to do uh, his ability to do his part. The Bible says in Genesis 8, 22, that as long as the earth remains, there'll be seed time and harvest. As long as the earth remains, it never ends. It's God's system of sowing and reaping. And the Bible is very clear in Luke 6, 38, if you give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will he cause men and women to give into your bosom? God, the Bible doesn't say if you give, God's going to open up heaven and rain down your harvest on you. That's not what he said will happen. His method, his avenue of you being blessed is that he will have men and women give to you. He will have men and women give to you. Expect men and women to show up and give to you. Expect it. Are you a giver? Are you a tither? Have you followed through on God's covenant of financial blessing? Have you done your part? If you have, expect men and women to give to you. Expect it. I had a dear brother that stopped me on the way out. I had already, I mean, I was leaving church, my own church on Sunday morning. And I had a very dear uh, brother stop me on the way out of church. He said, let me walk with you to your car. And he was sharing with me that God's using him to do things in uh, Georgia and that God's put an anointing on his life. But he said, let me tell you, I've really felt connected to the anointing that's on your ministry, anointing that's on your life. And he said, I just, I, I got to give this to you. And he handed me an envelope with an offering. It's not my, it wasn't my service. I was attending Sunday morning church at my own home church. It's not my service, but I expect it. Why? Because when you're a giver, when you're a giver, when you're a tither, the Bible said God will send men and women to give to you. I expect men and women to give. I expect it. Why? Because it's my covenant. And when somebody comes up to me and says, hey, I want to buy your dinner. Hey, I want to buy you a suit. Hey, I want to buy you a pair of shoes. Hey, I want to take your family. I want to send you and your family on vacation. Hey, I want to go. I don't sit there and go, oh, brother, thank you so much. Really appreciate that. But we could not. We could never accept. No, I'll accept it so quick. It'll make people's heads spin. I had a guy came up to me. Um, where was I at? He may be listening to the podcast. I want to say thank you again. I was in, uh, in, in uh, uh, yeah, Indiana just recently, and uh, a, a wonderful family there. That I mean, the Holy Ghost has shaken their family. And he came up to me. He told me. He said, "Listen, just a couple of years ago, I couldn't stand church, couldn't stand preaching." He said, "I'd drop my wife, kids off at church. I'd sit out in the parking lot, angry. You know, I didn't like anything about it. I didn't want my wife even giving in the offering, tithing, any of that." He said, but man, you and your cousin, your ministry has really just completely changed my life. And I'm so grateful, so thankful. Listen, here's a guy that didn't even want his wife to give in the offering. Didn't even want any of that. Now he's singing on the platform. He's delivered from drugs, faithful child of God, servant of God. And he went out and said, you know, I was so moved 
by what God's asked you to do. He went out to a jewelry store and, and bought me a very expensive watch and brought it in. I didn't ask him to do that. Why did, why did he do it? Because it's part of the fulfillment of the covenant. Can you imagine if I'd have sat there and said, yeah, brother, you know, thank you for thinking of me. I, could, I just could never accept it. No, I expect people to fulfill their end of the covenant. I'm not telling people to do it. I'm not, you know, I'm not manipulating people into doing it. They will just do it because it's the promise of God's word through the covenant. If I'm a giver, if I'm a tither, people will show up and bless me. People will show up and give into my life. They will give. You know, my children are in line for many blessings because I've blessed many people's children. And the Bible says that however you give and whatever measure that you give, it'll be measured back to you. You understand that whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap, Galatians 6, 7. You understand that my children are in line for blessing because I've blessed many people's children. I'm a giver, which means I'm in line for people to come and give into my bosom. Stop saying, oh, brother, I couldn't accept that. Thank you for thinking of me. Don't say that anymore. That is cutting God's covenant in half and you canceling out what he wants to do to bring you increase. Don't allow pride to destroy your ability to receive from God. Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says God opposes the proud, but gives more grace or favor to the humble. That leads us into number seven. Stop saying favor ain't fair. I can't stand, well, brother, favor ain't fair. It is fair. Favor's fair for the person that has favor because, you know, people act like favors, this like massive mystery. You know, like it's some kind of like supernatural mystery. I don't, brother, favors. I don't, there's a, I can just see the cloud of favor coming. It's it's not mystical. It's, it's not, you know, it's not unknown how favor comes. The Bible teaches us how favor comes. I can give you two major ways to attract favor. I did a whole podcast episode on this, but number one, the Bible says uh, in, that uh, God resists the proud but gives more favor or grace to the humble. So humility, making sure that your life is filled with humility will ensure that favor comes into your life. And then number two, the Bible says that grace or favor and peace be unto you through your knowledge of God and the knowledge of the word. Peter wrote that. So your knowledge of the word provokes the favor of God. Your humility and your knowledge of the word. So you understand favor is not a mystery. Stop saying favor ain't fair. It's fair to those who have uh, entered into the covenant with God and his word. God teaches us how to be in his favor. If you're in his favor, it's not by an accident. It's like, man, I don't know what happened. I accidentally fell into God's favor and I hope I don't ever fall out. I just don't know how I got here. No, anybody that's been favored by God knows how they got there because it, God's looking for specific actions of obedience that provoke his favor. Psalm 8411, God doesn't withhold any good thing from people who walk uprightly. That's favor. He's not withholding. He's actually letting every good thing flow into your life because you're walking free from sin, uprightly. Job 3611, God said, if they'll only obey and serve me, they'll spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures. So there you go. 
You want prosperity and pleasure? That's the favor of God? Obey the word and serve him. It's a covenant. There's two parts. Don't say favor's not fair. It's fair to those that obey. You know why? God made it fair. He said, if you do this, I'll do this. That's fair. If you do this, I'll do this. If you don't do this, I won't do this. God's never going to make it unfair and say, well, like you, you did the, here's what unfair would be. If you did, if you met the requirements and prerequisites of favor from the word of God, and then God said, you know what? I know you're living holy and righteous, and I know you're serving me and obeying my word, but I'm still not going to pour out favor on your life. That's unfair. If God set the rules of the game and then said, I'm not going to abide by the rules, that's unfair. Favor is completely fair because God set the rules. He set the boundaries. He set the systems and said, if you abide by them, you will get this outcome. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse six, without faith, it's impossible to please God for they that come to God must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So guess what? You're a diligent seeker of God. He's a rewarder of you. That's the rules. Are you a diligent seeker of God? If you are, he's a rewarder of you. Favor's not a mystery. It's not unfair. Favor's fair. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, natural things that in context, Matthew 6 is talking about where to live, what to wear, what to eat. All these things that other people are dying to get will just be added to you. It's not unfair. It's fair. He set the rules, set the boundaries, set the standards, and said, enter into the covenant, and I'll do it justly. I'll do it fair. If you abide by these, I'll add these things to you. You'll spend your days in prosperity, your years in pleasures. No good thing will be withheld from you. Favor is fair for those that have it. Because God is just. He's not unjust. He's a just God. Why am I telling you these things today? Because understand, what you say determines the reality of your life. What you say determines the reality of your life. Your words carry power because God's words carry power. And you are made in the likeness and in the image of God. So because his words carry power, when you speak them, your words carry power. And what you say determines the course of your life. Listen to this. I'll finish here. Mark chapter 11, verse 22 through 24. Jesus said to his disciples, have faith in God. Watch. Truly I say to you, whoever says, see that? Says, says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says, 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 get that, what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. One translation says, he shall have whatsoever he says. Get that. Verse 24, therefore I say, Jesus says now, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. What you say determines what you have. What you say determines what you have. Charles Capps used to say it this way. There's a miracle in your mouth. What you say determines what you have. The Bible tells us this. And actually, I want to um, I want to actually give you this scripture re- reference. 
so that you can write it down and have it for future reference because you need these things are very 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 important to determine the course of your life in Psalm 141 this is what the psalmist wrote verse 3 very important set a guard lord over my mouth keep watch over the door of my lips set a guard lord over my mouth keep watch over the door of my lips this is how important what you say is psalmist is asking god to put a guard over his mouth and keep watch at the door of his lips why because what comes out of your mouth determines the course of your future i want to pray for every one of you today listening to the podcast it is time to change what you're saying It's time to put a guard on your mouth, set a watch at your lips. Don't just say anything. Don't just say what you've heard. Say what the Bible says. It's important that these seven things do not ever become a part of your vocabulary, a part of the way you speak. You've got to align your words with the word of God. Father, I pray for every person that's listening to this today. I pray that you'd give them that understanding and that conviction in their heart. We don't just say what the world says. We don't just say what we've heard in the past. We say what your word says because that life and death are in the power of the tongue, that we will be justified or condemned by the words we speak. So Father, anoint us and empower us to speak the mighty word of God. And we thank you that as we do, Heaven is opening up and our our environment, our atmosphere, our family will be eternally changed by the power of our confession in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for it and we give you praise in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Listen, I love you guys so much. I want to encourage you, by the way, once again, to check out that course, Answered Prayer at Miracle Word University. This course on answered prayer will open up your eyes to see things you've never seen. There's people that are praying and their prayers are not being answered. They can't figure out why. We cover all of those things at Miracle Word University. Go to miraclewordu.com, miraclewordu.com and click on the answered prayer course. And if you'll enter the podcast code, which is just podcast at the checkout, you'll get 25% off Uh, the course price, which is a a great deal. Go check it out today. It'll be a massive blessing to you. It'll teach you how to have literal answers to your prayers so that you're not sitting around frustrated, wondering, how come this is not working? Why am I not seeing what I'm saying? You have to abide by the biblical principles. We lay them out specifically in the course. Over four hours of teaching for you. It'll be a massive blessing to your life. I love you guys. Don't forget until next time, goodness and mercy are following you for the rest of your life. I love you. We would love for you to join us in a live service. To find out when Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. will be near you, please visit our website at www.miracleword.com. 